0: We've got time for one more call today. Julia is on the line from Alexandria, Virginia. Julia, what have you got for us? Well, I have a question
1: regarding, um, was there a time or is it an example where a, a not friend, a country or a group of people that, that was hostile to the United States, maybe not an enemy, but their attitudes were transformed by a humanitarian intervention? An intervention on our part so that that opened up sort of doors or um, an avenue for the relation to become one of more understanding or, or, or maybe more cooperation or at least slightly less cold.
2: Maybe this is just a, uh, a warm memory from my dimly remembered childhood. But it would seem to me that actually the Marshall Plan and the support for Germany with the airdrops and things like that might have converted a once bitter enemy into people who were pretty much on the American side, Uh, and I'm thinking of Germany. And the same thing is true of Japan
0: as well. Uh, Guys, I I would suggest that the transformation of attitudes really begins on the ground up, and it has more to do with— American commerce and influence and the example of America. Uh, Often among the people in the 19th century, ordinary folk would look to America as a a great land of opportunity. Uh, But in the 20th century, uh, things like Coca-Cola, American products, American movies, what we uh, might call in the broadest sense soft diplomacy or unintentional diplomacy.
3: Soft drink, soft drink diplomacy, Peter.
0: Yeah, something like that. As transformed attitudes. Uh, I, I think it's very hard to neatly extricate something like an intended diplomatic initiative or humanitarian initiative and, and to establish that it had any influence at all. I think it's much too complicated to make those distinctions.
2: You know, I, I wanted to build on Peter's excellent point about, you know, rock and roll diplomacy or Coca-Cola diplomacy, because in the absence of that in the 19th century— I cannot think of any instance in which our putative efforts at humanitarian aid were not seen by even the recipients as transparent power grabs. I'm thinking about with American Indians. I'm thinking about with Mexico. I'm thinking about Latin America. I'm thinking about the Philippines. And each of those things almost never did people go, hey, thanks so much. For, you know, sending us the blankets or for trying to import your, your institutions. And it suggests to me that until we have the soft diplomacy of mass culture and mass communication, that we're not as effective. Yeah, and I, I would
3: just um, second your point by saying we did have something going for us in the 19th century, and that was we that we were not a strong governmental colonial power. And to the extent people liked the United States outside of America. It was precisely because we were not the kind of visible, state-driven, colonial grasping power that so many European powers were.
2: (laughs) Julia, uh, is, is something happening with your phone?
1: No, it was was a humanitarian intervention to my dog. Otherwise, I'd start barking.
0: (laughs) All right. Boy, this crosses species now. We live in a humane society.
1: Right, exactly. We provided him with food.
0: (laughs) But,
2: you know, kidding around aside, I think you know that Peter and Brian are saying something important, is that people have liked Americans more than they've liked America.
1: Do you you think, you know, in a lot of our humanitarian interventions, um, at least now, like when you look at going into Haiti, at least initially, or what happened after the tsunami, um, the Christmas tsunami, our military is really the the force that logistically and, um, in a sense, physically has the resources to be able to come in and deal with that chaotic situation on the ground. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that changes attitudes towards the American military and therefore perhaps towards us as a country?
2: You know, it's a great question, Julia, and I think that I noticed this the other day that the latest ads for the United States military begin with great martial images of guys strapping on, you know, bulletproof vests and helmets and all this and getting on the helicopters, and then when they're on the ground, they're carrying aid packages, they're, they're carrying boxes of, of food. And I think that captures something important. The fact that our military can come in and do these very positive things, just reminds people how quickly they could come in and do something else if they wanted to. You know, it's sort of a, you know, a, a testimony to the omnipotence, really, uh, of the American military. So I, I think it comes both ways. I mean, people dressed in uniform—I mean, we all remember this, the pictures of our soldiers with children— you know, in Iraq and so forth. And, and you can see them doing kind things, but you can't help but notice that we're dressed for war. So it, it's an interesting kind of tension there. So, so what it points to me is what an awesome question, Julia. <laughs> yeah, and I want to know where the question
3: comes from, Julia.
1: Um, what what well, is your
3: stake in all of this?
1: My stake in all of this is um, I'm a veteran. My husband is still active duty. In fact, he's in Baghdad right now. So these issues surrounding how the military gets used are issues that are personal in a lot of ways because it personally impacts me and my family. Sure. After nine eleven, you know, I had left the military by this, by by that time. I was no longer on active duty or in the reserves. But um, you know, this whole question of anti-Americanism was something that I was actually like. I, I was struggling with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was sort of struggling with. I'd been an exchange student. I had traveled and lived in different places, and um, and I really wanted to understand it.
3: Julia, Julia, could you could you share with us uh, some firsthand experiences about efforts at, you know, acts of kindness or humanitarian initiatives while on the ground and the reaction to them?
1: Um, there was something, there's a group called the Spirit of America, and it started out of, well, the inspiration was a sergeant in Afghanistan. He was a special forces guy, and he sent home to his wife, I need you to send me some soccer balls and baseball mitts. And in this village that was near to where his unit was, he taught the kids how to play baseball and how to play soccer. And what he found was, that the village started protecting the military from terrorist attacks. And um, that sparked this group called Spirit of America, and what they were doing was raising money so that these soldiers weren't having to really fund it on their own because it wasn't – this was an individual – like you said, it was an individual effort. It wasn't an official policy. Someone said, hey, you know – we can provide, you know, school supplies, or we could provide soccer balls or sewing machines, and in a sense, it'll make our lives easier as as soldiers. But it also created these bonds between the two communities that that were positive bonds.
0: And that was really uh, that was bottom up, people to people stuff, and I think that is. Uh uh, that's that's really crucial. And it gets back to Ed's point about it's uh, America sometimes when it represents sheer power and force, of course, is going to generate hostile reaction. Americans can relate differently. And I think that's been the genius of the Peace Corps and other forms of soft diplomacy and intervention uh, that kind of liberate the human possibilities of, uh, of engagement. Uh, well, Julia, you've— uh, really intervened in a, in a very uh, positive and constructive and humane way. Uh, and it was great to have your dog uh, on the show and great talking with you. Thanks for calling.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.